ladies and gentlemen. Coming to you live from under the big top in Northwest Indiana, it's Pickleballs and Drop! Well, yeah, it is. Hey. Hi. It's Will, it is the Compulsive Giraffe, and I am back. Welcome all, welcome one and all, to Season 2, Episode 1 of the CG. That's what the cool kids call the Compulsive Giraffe Podcast, and we're breaking it live right now in Indiana. How the hell are you? Have you been? It's been a while. It's really been a while since uh, we finished Season 1. Season two kicking off. I I would say that since our last uh, get together, the the world's changed a little bit, huh? Got new government. We got all this uh, COVID rigmarole. We we got all kinds of nonsense happening in our world today. But but that's not what I want to talk about today. You know, I, I I gave it a lot of thought, and I kept thinking, okay, so so how do we start episode? one of season two how do we start season two what can we say i mean i mean it's a momentous occasion you know for the hundreds of thousands of listeners and followers that you know i was able to gather up in season one how do i come out of the gate strong in in season two what do we talk about in season two and then it hit me let's talk about getting drunk and i mean flat out fall down face in the grass absolutely shit-faced drunk right why not let's talk about that so that's episode one of season two we're gonna call it drunk now i should start out by letting everybody know that you know those nasty things that happen after a night of drunken debauchery those things are called hangovers hangovers well i have not had a hangover in over six years not a one and i don't have any magic solution except that i haven't had a drink in over six years and so what i'm telling you is i've been clean and sober for six years because my name is will and i'm an alcoholic and i want to tell you about it a little bit you know i mean because it's a Look, if you're not an alcoholic, it's an interesting topic. Everybody probably knows. Hey, I, you remember Uncle Jerry? You know, weird Uncle Jerry, you know, used to smell his armpits, that guy? I'm pretty sure he was a drunk. I mean, everybody has a friend who they've always thought might be a closet alcoholic. Or, or my personal favorite, a functioning alcoholic. Yeah, they, there really isn't any such thing as that. But that's okay. That's that's another topic. Um but this podcast is going to talk a little bit about my experience and uh, just a little bit about alcoholism in general. I don't think it gets talked about, I mean, very much. Um, and it's a very real thing. I mean, it's a disease. It's an addiction. It has, it has its hooks in an awful lot of people. And I'm willing to bet it has its hooks in an awful lot more now that we've been locked down with this COVID bullshit now for over a year. My expectation is that the level of alcoholism and the level of functioning alcoholics has risen 
dramatically. But what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to be an alcoholic? What does alcoholism mean? Well, it means that I have zero, that's zero, Z-E-R-O, control over alcohol. Once I start, I can't stop. It's a total loss of control. How long have I been an alcoholic? I, I mean, I have no idea. It's, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a scientist. I, I can't really make a good nature or nurture argument, but I can tell you that there was a time I was in control and then I wasn't. <laughs> it's, it's kind of as simple as that. I, I can't point to a specific date or, or even a specific day. I, I just knew that one day I crossed the line and I never came back um, because once you cross that line, there is no going back. It's, it's not really a mystery. Look, believe me, I tried. I tried multiple times to come back, um, but I had the same result every single time. I used to call it um, marketing. <laughs> You know, well, you know, I've been going to A meetings for a little while now, but you know, I'm not really sure I'm an alcoholic, so I'm going to go test the waters a little bit and wham, right back to where I was. Drunk, passed out, blacked out, nightmare. So I, I do want to put out a disclaimer. I mentioned AA earlier. AA has been a big part of my experience, but understand that I don't speak for AA. Or, or any other alcoholic, or any 12-step program of any kind, I speak for myself. So I'm going to share a little bit about my experience. Like, I got hundreds of war stories, but that's not what this podcast is about. It's not about, you know, reliving the, the, the hell of my own making. It's really a story, my story is more about redemption. I'm going to share my odyssey, my my self-inflicted science experiment. Getting sober was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, ever. And it cost me. Not being sober cost me nearly everything. My wife, my children, my family, my friends, my job, my house, my car, my freedom, my life. I can't tell you how many times I flirted with the devil just teetering over the edge of living and dying, but it was more times than, than I, than I care to remember. I can't point to a specific drink. I don't know if any alcoholic can, maybe I can't, I can't point to a specific time or a specific drink when I crossed the line and became an alcoholic. But one day I was in control. And the next day, I wasn't. Well, what does that mean? How can you be out of control? There's, there's any number of ways that, that you can be out of control. I was out of control in lots of different ways. And I'll give you a, a quick example here. I used to travel quite a bit for work. I actually still, I actually still do travel quite a bit for work. My travel is a little different now. Uh, than it used to be, but I, I still do travel quite a bit. But back in the day, as we like to say, back in the day, I traveled a lot. I traveled every week. I flew everywhere. I mean, I couldn't 
couldn't very well drive to Houston or Los Angeles from Pennsylvania. And I had to be there about every week. So I flew a lot and I got to know the airports. I had a favorite watering hole in every single airport that I used on a regular basis. Orlando, Tampa, Houston, both Hobby and Bush, Midway, O'Hare, because back then I didn't live here. <laughs> now it's my home airport. LAX, Denver, you just, you name it. I You name the airport. If I traveled there more than once, I had a favorite watering hole. So I show up to Harrisburg International Airport. I think they have a one flight to Canada so they can call themselves international. It's a small airport. But I showed up there for my flight on American Airlines to Charlotte, North Carolina. It was like a two-day trip and and like most of my trips out of Harrisburg, I always plan to get there about an hour early because an hour gives me just about enough time to go to my favorite watering hole in Harrisburg, which at the time was Phillips, and pound three or four 24-ounce uh, beers. And that's what I did. So I would get there, I would sit down, I would open up my computer, and I would just start pounding beers. And when I got about my fourth one done, I tried to hit the restroom because by then we were typically boarding. So I was on the plane quick. And because I flew so much, because I traveled so much, they used to automatically upgrade my tickets so that I would sit in first class. It wasn't anything that I paid for. It wasn't anything that I asked for. It was just automatic. You're a, you're a frequent flyer. We're going to put you in first class now. When you fly first class on any of these airlines, as soon as your butt hits the very comfortable seat, the flight attendant is at your side taking your drink order. That's right. You have a cocktail before you even back out of the gate. So on that particular day, I was feeling no pain already. Of course I want a cocktail. Let's try some red wine. After which she took one of those clear plastic cups and filled it to the brim. So I pounded that real quick. Now I'm probably five drinks in, in an hour, which was pretty standard for me. And then we pushed back, we taxied, we took off. And when we got above 10,000 feet, the flight attendant was right there again, asking for a drink order. Well, sure, I'll have another one. And I had another one. And then I had another two. So I had three glasses of wine on the flight. Now, and they were full. There wasn't like two fingers. I mean, it was like it was like five fingers. I had three glasses of wine on the flight. I had four beers. We landed in Charlotte. It's not a very long flight. So, so now I'm about two hours, two and a half hours total. And I'm probably seven drinks but those drinks were probably twice the normal size so i'm i'm about 12 to 14 drinks in now over two and a half hours and so as soon as we landed and i got my bag on the jetway i'm kind of stumbling up the jetway into the airport and i thought boy i could use a drink and um so i went to one of my favorite watering holes right there in uh in Charlotte and uh, sat down. It was probably about eight o'clock, eight thirty, and I pounded a whole bunch more and was feeling great. 
was feeling absolutely fantastic. I mean, I was floating. The birds were singing. I was, I was in my element. I was, I was large and in charge. I was styling through the airport, and I got all the way at the top of the escalator from Terminal E into the main terminal, and then I blacked out, and I fell backwards, and I tumbled all the way down the escalator. Fortunately, there was nobody behind me because of the hour of the day. There weren't a whole lot of travelers at that time. And I just laid there, passed out, blacked out, stone drunk, sitting at the bottom of an escalator. I was all tore up, arms, legs, my clothes were ripped. And I just laid there at the bottom with the steps digging into my back until the cops and the medics came and got me, put me on a gurney and I don't know if they, I don't know where they took me. It was, it was either like an infirmary or it might've been like an airport jail, but they took me there and, and I, I passed out. I was gone. And eventually I woke up. It was probably 30 minutes later and whatever it was, it wasn't a long time, but it was long enough that everybody left. <laughs> I'm still hammered. I'm still in blackout phase and I got up. And nobody's there. There's no cops. There's no medics. There's no nothing. But there was my bag, and it was right next to the door. So I did the only thing I could think to do. I grabbed my bag, and I got my ass out of there. Went back up the escalator. Went to the rental car company. Again, drunk off my ass. Went to the rental car company. Got my rental car. Got through the gate, which means somebody at the car rental place let me go and I actually drove to the hotel that I was going to be staying in for two nights. It was near the airport, I think. Unbelievable, right? Didn't kill anybody, didn't kill myself, got to the hotel, checked in, got a lot of weird looks from the guy at the front desk and I asked him about that convenience store next door. Do they sell beer? He said, yeah. I said, great. I packed, I, I dropped my bag off. I went to the convenience store. I got a case of beer. I went back to my room and I drank the whole case. And I passed out in the bed because I woke up the next morning. And like every morning I woke up after I howled at the wind and after I was a werewolf and styling and jet flying, I felt as if I was going to die. But it wasn't just the the physical sickness. It wasn't the, the headache and the nausea and the, the, just the, the feeling like you were being squeezed in a vice. It was the, the guilt and the emotional feelings that had just ripped me apart for going on years at this point. And I decided what I needed to do right then and there was get another drink. I knew that convenience store was there. I was going to go across the street and get a drink because I was, I had the shakes and had to make it right. And uh, there was no way I could conduct business if I didn't make it right. So I turned around and then I saw my bed and the bed was covered in blood. I just stared at it. I just stared at this bed covered in blood. I mean, it was, it looked like a crime scene. It was ridiculous. And then I started to look at myself and, and I had, I had cuts and gashes and bruises like all over. 
and I was some of them were bandaged, um, but a lot of them like weren't. Like the bandages had fallen off, and and I thought, man, this isn't good. This this is bad. This is really really bad. Um, and then I then I tried to piece the the I, I tried to piece together the pieces of the previous night, and and I had too many gaps. I I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't place it. I, I didn't know how I got where I was. I, I knew about the convenience store. I had no, no, there was no alcohol in the room. All the cans were empty, but I didn't know how I got there. And then I saw a key fob sitting on the, on the desk. So I, I, I threw on a pair of pants and a t-shirt and I grabbed the key fob and I went out and started pushing the key fob. And then a car started beeping. And I, I assumed that was mine. The door opened and the car was covered in blood. And I, and I thought, this is, this is bad, man. This is, this is bad. I, this is bad. And, and so I, I dashed back inside and, and it was at that point when I decided, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to these meetings this week. I can't show up looking like this. So I, uh, got another case of beer and uh and and drank it eventually i made my way home hadn't called on any customers hadn't done anything um except drink and be drunk and uh just trying to hide my my cuts and my bruises which had become a kind of a a thing it was a regular thing because pretty much every time i would get back from a business trip i was banged up or scratched up or i'd fallen down and cut my head or cut my leg or I used to, I started traveling with band-aids. That was my hell. That was one example. And you might be thinking to yourself, wow, man, it's a good thing that happened. Because if that didn't happen, wow, you, you, you'd still be out there. And you would, you would be right. That's what would happen to a normal person. But I wasn't a normal person. I was an alcoholic. And believe me when I tell you, that was not my rock bottom because I drank again and again and again. And you would think that a guy who barely escaped getting locked up at the Charlotte airport, blacking out, falling down an escalator and ripping his back up among other body parts, destroying essentially a set of hotel sheets and having to clean a rental car with, with borrowed, with a borrowed rag and some formula 409, you would think that, that guy would eventually say, hey, you know what? I think I have a problem. Nah, not this guy. Not this guy. I was ready to go again. You see, I was a blackout drunk. I was an all-in kind of drunk. When I started, I couldn't stop. Didn't want to stop. I didn't think I could stop. And, and that, was the, that was the irony. The irony there was that I thought if I stopped drinking, I would die. When the reality was... My drinking was killing me, but it wasn't just killing me. It was, it was, it was killing me physically. It was killing me emotionally. I, I was an absolute, I mean, I was like, I was like the walking, the walking emotionally wounded. Um, you ask any drunk what the worst part of being a drunk is, and it ain't the hangover. It's the absolute breakdown of our internal character and when you've lost that and there just isn't anything else and so I didn't stop and so I kept going 
And I kept going for a while. I kept going for, you know, another year or two or however long. But the point is, at some at some point in time, I did decide, you know what? I have a problem. And I tried to fix that problem multiple times. But it really wasn't until I was able to admit to myself, I'm out of control. And it's not just that I'm out of control. I have no control over alcohol. I have no control over myself when I'm when I drink and I have no control over this drug, none, zero, zip, nada. As soon as I drink, I'm, I'm on another, I'm on another express elevator to hell and I'm, I'm lucky and I'm fortunate. I grabbed onto whatever I could to get me out of the depths of the sewer that had literally become my life. Whatever that is, you know, you need some stuff, right? You need some help. It's not something that you can do by yourself. You know, some people, you know, they, they, they reach for a higher power. You got to have a higher power, man, or you're not going to overcome it. Now, as an agnostic, you would think, well, what higher power does that guy have? Because the only thing I know about God is I'm not him, but I do have a higher power and I realized it and I found it. And my higher power is my partner and my wife, Susan. And so I had that and I grabbed onto that. You know, February 11th is a very special day for me and I look forward to it every year. It's the anniversary of, of getting my life back. And we celebrate a little bit. I mean, it's not like a, a birthday party or anything like that, but every year I get a little set of chocolate coins. Coins are a big deal. In, at least in the 12-step program that I was a part of, they signify a different step in, in recovery. So I get some chocolate coins and I get cards. And, and what I really get is I get, I get to sit here and think about the year of clarity that I had and, and the year of clarity that I hope to have in the future. Look, I, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what's going to happen next month or, or even next week. I don't know that I'm not going to have a drink next week, but I do know that I'm not going to have a drink today. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's what that's what that's what we mean when we say one day at a time. And it is one day at a time. I can control this one day at a time. Don't ask me to 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 control the next five years, but I can control today and I'm pretty sure I can control tomorrow. And that's the difference between somebody who's making this trek toward clarity aggressively and someone who just does the same thing and, and hopes for a different result. It's a shame, but I was the latter for a long, long time. But there's a way out. I found a way out. And there's a lot of people out there that are struggling, man. There's a lot of people that are hurting right now. I mean, you take this COVID nonsense... I'm pretty sure there's a lot more alcoholics, probably exponentially so, than there were before this thing started. And it's funny, and you see the, you know, the jokes and the cartoons and the homeschooling with the glass of wine. But the reality is, this has also made quite a few alcoholics. And if you know somebody, have them have them give this a listen, because there is help out there. 
There's another drunk who's been wherever that person might be. We take pride in that. That's where we get to help other people. That's where, that's where drunks help other drunks. People going through this don't have to go through it alone. I didn't. I had a home group for the first several years of my recovery. I miss, I miss every day of my life. Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I miss them. I miss going to those meetings. It helped me get sober. And that's where I am today. I'm sober. I have a clear head. My mind is right. It doesn't mean everything else goes away. There's still bad shit that happens. And there's still stuff that we have to deal with. But why in God's name would I ever want to deal with that? Why would I want to deal with these pitfalls with alcohol? With the very thing that took me almost to the brink of my existence. And that's what I have to remind myself. And that has to get me to tomorrow because it's all about getting to tomorrow. I'm an alcoholic and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I don't wear it as a badge of honor. I don't wear it as a badge at all. It happened to me. I share my story. I talk to other alcoholics because I don't want anybody to go through the emotional devastation that I went through because of a substance. And if I can help one guy, one lady, one kid, if I can help them just move that monkey a little bit off their back, that's a good thing. So that's the program. Drunk. <laughs> Welcome to season two, episode one. I thank you for being there. I thank you for listening. I appreciate you hanging in there with me over this long season hiatus. Been a lot going on, but I'm very happy to be back behind the blue microphone. I thank you for listening. I thank you for your support. Let me know how I'm doing. Send me some feedback. I mean, you never know. I, I might even use it. And no matter what else happens, just remember, there is no good life. There is no bad life. There is just life. So live it. This is Compulsive Giraffe signing off. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Peace. Now he's in a rock and roll outfit and everything's 